Well, guys, we always talk about legends and icons when it comes to this podcast. Jack, we're welcoming an icon today on On Your Sidelines. I, I Rex, this probably gets no bigger in the Chattahoochee Valley. One of the greatest coaches to ever coach football and baseball in the Columbus area. He's next. This is episode, I think, 16 of On Your Sidelines. When the final buzzer sounds, the game is over, but their story isn't. Time to hang out on the sidelines and learn the real stories of these sports icons. Welcome to the On Your Sidelines podcast with the News 3 sports team. Well, bringing in everybody, I'm sports director Rex Castile, joined by weekend sports anchor Jack Patterson. Guys, welcome to another incredible episode. Before we get into our legendary guest, time for that t-shirt check-in. Jack, your shirt is a little bit of a hint to who we're bringing in today. <laughs> Well, I mean, <laughs> if you've watched this podcast by now, you know I graduated from Shaw High School. I think this is number four. This is the third, it's the third, third time. It's all the right. third time, okay? And I promise we'll have a break from all my <laughs> Shaw stuff, okay? But, I mean, the first time I had to rep represent the Alma Mater, and then we had Jonathan Karen Story, who yeah. played for Northside. So, of course, I couldn't bring, help but right bring there. up that rivalry. And then, of course, today I'm wearing it because the person we're interviewing today basically made this program made the football and baseball programs at Shaw into a state powerhouse. And before we so get to that, to. obviously we have to bring in that, but uh, we're rocking with, it's probably just the top part here, but representing the Columbus River Dragons Ignite Cup champions as that season creeps up on us as well. Gosh, we have all this action going on between football, indoor football, softball, flag football, Everything. now hockey. It's all here, but we're going to pause today because Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the legendary coach, Charles Flowers, to On Your Sidelines. Coach, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you all for having me. It is truly an honor to be here and just all the rivalry, <laughs> the River Dragons, the Raiders and everything. I'm excited, excited that you guys invited me to be on this podcast today. Coach, it really, you have made us, you have blessed us with your with your presence here. He's been, you've been smiling ear to ear, Jack, ever since we announced that you confirmed. Coach, let's get right into it, though. Uh, what was the motivation to get into coaching and, and leading young men uh, on, the, on the gridiron and on the baseball diamond? I think uh, a lot of it had to do with my background. My background of playing sports and being around sports and just that camaraderie playing in the neighborhood, you know. Learning to work together with a group of guys that you grew up with and sports was that common piece that we had. It helped us to build relationship with each other. We enjoyed playing, and out of those neighborhoods, we went on to do phenomenal things in education and in life as well. Absolutely, Coach. So what kind of led you to Shaw? Uh, well, let's not say Shaw, but led you to the Chattahoochee Valley because Shaw was not your first stop in the Chattahoochee Valley. Uh, no, it was not. I started my career at West Point, West Point High School in West Point, Georgia. I was working on my master's degree at Troy University. And Dr. John Tucker was the human resource director for the school system. And I was taking one of his classes. And he said that uh, you would fit good in Shaw. I said, I don't know about that. You know, I'm, I don't know about the Columbus area. And I began to research a little bit. And uh, they had a very, 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 very long losing streak. And, uh, but he convinced me that I need to come. I had a choice when the schools consolidated. I had a choice to either go to Newnan High School to coach baseball and as an assistant coach or to come to Shaw High School to be an assistant coach in football and head baseball coach. And I did like I always do. I said my prayers and I woke up one morning and I said I'm choosing to come to Columbus, Georgia. 
When you come to Columbus, Georgia, one thing, when I moved here, it was incredible to see the amount of talent here. But you mentioned that you were going to Shaw, a place that didn't have a lot of winning there. What was it about just embracing that challenge? Wow. Well, I had a very good friend of mine by the name of Alton Pitts. And um, he was our wrestling coach, and he coached our defensive line. And he had a little son that was playing Little League Baseball in West Point. And he kind of convinced me that, um, that I would fit good there. So I actually, once we got there, I think it was 0-37. Uh, we were, wow, we weren't concerned about winning. We were concerned <laughs> about scoring and surviving. But on the other end, Columbus has always been rich with baseball talent. And uh, a gentleman who I grew to be very close to, James Bubba Ball, yes. uh, he had a phenomenal, he had set the foundation there. And Debbie Ball is an icon in the, in the, around the state as well. And so we had some good camaraderie there. And we saw that the foundation was there. It took us a few years, but uh, there was, those were some challenging times. Absolutely. So you get the shawl and you, you know, you see, you know what, this, what state the program is in. You know, what was your first goal, you know, to kind of, you know, turn things around? I think the biggest thing was being an assistant for the two years that I was there was developing a winning mindset, developing a winning mindset, and at the same time, getting physically stronger. Our guys, we had some good athletes and guys that really wanted to play and they enjoyed playing the game and they worked harder, but we had to teach them how to compete and how to win. So a stronger athlete is a more confident athlete. If I'm stronger, then I'm going to stick my head in there and I'm going to make that tackle. But if I'm physically weak, I'm going to hold a tackle. I want to try to grab, <laughs> grab him by his ankles. So those were some of the factors that we had. For you, Coach, what is a winning mindset? A winning mindset is putting your hard hat on, going to work, not caring about who gets the credit as long as the team gets to win. Going to practice, practicing knowing that if I continue to work at it in a positive manner and give it everything that I have, be my best me, give it everything that I have, we feel like winning is going to take care of itself. But that is a mindset, which behind every good team, you have to have good coaches. We had coaches that had the mindset. We had teachers who believed in what we were doing. You had administration who backed us 100%. We had loyal fans that were with us regardless. So, you know, changing that mindset not just only happened with players, but it's everybody, and building those positive relationships. So as we began to do this, our players began to get physically stronger, and we were able to get some more athletes in. But at the bottom of that, we had a very strong character education program. We believed in doing things the right way and through integrity. So as a result of that, a lot of the parents wanted their children to play for someone who exemplified character. Coach, when did it start to click? Like, you know, I know the first couple of years, you know, it was a kind of a slow start, you know, but, you, you know, you start turning the tide a little bit. You had, a, you know, I think a four-win season, a couple four-win seasons, but things start to turn. What, when did you see it first click? After those first couple of four-win seasons, in those four-win seasons, with a little bit of learning how to win, could have very well been eight-win season. So one of the things we started stressing was our summer weight training program and our winter program. So all of the student athletes that were not involved in another sport, 
we had a rigorous off-season program. And they start to build confidence and start building confidence. So our guys stop running away from success and start running toward success. And that's the big difference, teaching them how to win. Going back, we did a lot of film analyzation. We broke down film. We did it the old-fashioned way. We graded performance and we graded effort. So if a young man, whether if in football, if the effort was there and he was in position, we gave him a plus because he was doing everything that he physically could do. And so we start rewarding our players, building that incentive and that confidence and confidence, and then we began to move. In the 2000 season, Coach, that obviously ended in a very special way. W- was there a point in that season where it's like, okay, this group is really special? Well, you, you as a coaching staff look out and like, we have a special group that they can do something great here. Yes, and it started the year before that. We mm-hmm. knew we had the nucleus of a good team, and we had an offensive line. They were dedicated. They didn't care. People talked about, well, you know they're going to run the ball. You know they're going to run the ball. But these guys actually love to run the football. And you start seeing that confidence level in them. And they had to the point, I said, Coach, you can put the principal in the backfield. (laughs) So, I mean, those guys had the confidence, and they start believing in themselves. And you start seeing us, hey, these guys are beginning to get it. You know, the the academics was improving. Mm -hmm. Their behavior was exemplary. So we didn't have any of those discipline problems, so they started believing in us. So they saw the coaches staying late, so they wanted to stay late. So when they start volunteering to stay late and work on things and start holding each other accountable, then you know you're on the right track. So that 2000 season, you know, everybody says it's one of the more magical seasons in the history of Shaw High School's football program. When that season, when you're going to play, I believe it was Statesboro that you guys beat for the state championship, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, what was it about the, that night in that game that kind of just set everything apart? But let's go back before that. During that time, the semifinals were played at the Georgia Dome. Yep. Mm-hmm. So we played Cairo. Oh, man. We played Cairo. And I think the score wound up being 6-3 or something like that, or 6-2 or something like that. Wow. The lowest scoring game in the Dome. During that game, we had an opportunity. We kicked the field goal. And they we had they had a penalty. So we went against the odd. And we took the points off of the off the board. Off the board. People thought we were crazy. We had an all state kicker, Chad Spencer. He was all state in both soccer and in football as a kicker and punter. So we scored the touchdown. Sterling Jenkins missed the extra point. Oh boy. <laughs> ah. So, had we not, had we went ahead and stayed where we were and not took the points off, then they had a great kicker Mm -hmm. toward the end of the game. They would have been in a position to win that ball game. I think it would have been five to three because it was five, it was two. They had got safety on us, yes. So, I knew we had a special team then. But uh, there was something about playing uh, Statesboro. So, for me, it was kind of personal. Okay. It was kind of personal because during that time, Coach Busby was the uh, was the head coach, and for many years he was the head coach at Kendrick High School. Mm-hmm. And those early years, Kendrick, you know, they they beat us pretty bad. Sure, yeah. <laughs> and then one game I remember very well. It was a very close ball game, and we walked across the field to shake hands, and he said, um, "You know, guys, if y'all keep working, y'all just may look up and beat some folks." That's what he told me. Huh. So 
you know when we got to that point. You didn't forget it. I did not forget <laughs> it. And, but I knew that he was a power team, he was a wishbone team, and we knew exactly what he was going to do. It was just a matter of us stopping him. Mm-hmm. So, And I think some of the players remembered that too, even though it was years prior to that. So going through my mind, it's rainy, mm-hmm. it's cold, <laughs> it's everybody's packed here, the game is in our backyard. Uh, we have no right. We have we don't have a choice but to go out and play well. The very first play of the ball game, the very first play, that rather than them running the power, they run an option. So in in football and in option teams, you got to take care of the dive, which is inside. Yeah, you got to take care of the quarterback, and then you got to take care of the pitch man. Mm-hmm. And in sequence, I cannot forget this as long as they I live. The very first play, our linebacker stuffed the fullback. He goes down. Our defensive end crushes the quarterback. He goes down. Our cornerback comes down and nails the pitch man. The ball goes on the ground. We pick it up. We score. We knew it was going to be that kind of ball game. <laughs> oh, man. Pretty much it's a wrap right after that. It was a wrap, and we really – and it was it was a very dominating game. Mm-hmm. Defensively, our guys dominated in every sense of the word, and we had uh, our offensive line when they, they just want to block. <laughs> and I think we might have thrown three passes that game. If it worked, it works. I mean, if if it works, it works. But, you know, at that point in time when you won the state title in 2000, you know, I think it had been seven years since you had taken over as head coach of the program. Mm -hmm. You know, what what kind of statement did that make at that point in time for the the Shaw program knowing that you had completely turned things around from a program that was struggling to score points to winning a state championship? And going back, we remove I, replace it with we. We had great coaches. We had great players. We had great parental support. We had a great administration. So we collectively decided that we were going to be dedicated to this program. We went for a period for about five years that we didn't lose a region ball game. We knew we were getting close. We knew we were getting close. We were getting close. And finally, we had a bunch of young men that actually believed that. And so by transforming, it was a gradual process. And so we had to learn how to win. We knew we were physically strong. We knew we were in good condition because of our winter and our summer weight program. So we felt like, and everyone knew it, if we felt like we could get you into the fourth quarter, we felt like the game was ours. And that confidence was there. Coach, one thing that I'm noticing with all your answers is confidence and unselfishness, a dedication to a group, a we over me. It was at a, a staple of your coaching of every lesson you've taught every player. And and it's what I believe in. I truly believe that if you're willing to give and if you're willing to sacrifice, it makes you stronger. And if we even think about it from that standpoint, if I'm willing to give everything that I have in order for someone else to be successful, then I've done my job as a coach. The worst thing that can happen is for a young man to fail. But it's worse for a young man to fail and there's no coach to lift him up. So those are the kind of things that we believed in. You know, trust in each other, believe in each other, having a strong faith, but also that positive work ethic and not making everything be about you. Absolutely. I think that's something we can all get behind. Every walk of life. Exactly. So that 2000 season was special on the football field. But switching over to the spring of 2001, it was a special season on the baseball diamond too, because 
um, one, I think the last time this has happened where uh, Columbus Area School has won a football and a baseball championship in the same year. And you had a lot of talent on that baseball team in 2001. You know, what was that season like? And, you know, trying to, you know, bring it all together at the end. Bringing it all together. We had a, you know, we, I think we lost maybe six games that year. Wow. We lost five of them in the preseason. Wow. In the Parkview tournament. <laughs> we went up there. We thought we had a hot shot team. We went up to that Parkview tournament at the, I mean, uh, no, it's not the Parkview tournament, it's the dugout tournament at the beginning of the year. And we got scorched by everybody. I'm shaking my head. I said, here I am with three Division One caliber pitchers, and I'm going to have to fire myself <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the season. So, but we went on a roll, and the guys, we found the right combination. And those guys, they, I mean, they were a phenomenal group of young men. They absolutely refused to quit. And uh, they understood that we're not going to cheat the game. Okay. When we say not cheat the game, they're going to play it with integrity. They sprinted on and off the field. They played with class. I mean, they played hard. And they were a little arrogant sometimes, but that's okay. You can back it up. Yeah, you can back it up. But don't be arrogant if you don't have anything to back it up. (laughs) Yeah. If I'm I'm batting 250, then I need to keep my mouth shut. Mm -hmm. If I'm batting 400, I might conceal or something. If I'm throwing 91, 92, I can talk a little bit. Yeah. But if I'm throwing 83 Uh. and 82, I might need to sell down. But that group of young men, they were talented. But they they refused to quit. These are the young men that you had to make them go home. Wow. They were not ready to go home at the end of practice. So that was a phenomenal group of young men as well. How is Coach Flowers, the football coach, different from Coach Flowers, the baseball coach? Um, I had to learn to mellow. In football, I always wore a tie. Okay. I wore a tie because it helped settle me. So this would be you on the sidelines? or With, oh. the, with the sweater vest, of course, <laughs> not with a coat. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and khaki pants. All right, know? all right. I was in my polish, my shoes. That was a ritual for me. Okay. But on the baseball field, I think I might have been a little bit more aggressive at times. Okay. And I think it was because of the mentality of the players that we had, but also some of the coaches that we had as well, some of our rivals. So you got to match wits with them. So if they're going to be – if they're going to be energetic and voiceful and everything, yes, do you. But at the same time, you cannot be passive, I don't think, and coach the game of baseball. And speaking of baseball and speaking of the coaches that you went against, you and Bobby Howard Ooh. had some wars in the early 2000s. What was it like coaching against him? Bobby Howard is one of the best coaches that I've ever met wow. in terms of all sports. He had a phenomenal knowledge of the game. His players played hard for him. I mean, they they knew how to win. So, and he was very intense, very intense. Now, people thought we hated each other on the field, but we were actually very good friends off the field. We both wanted to win. We wanted our programs to be successful. So we had some early battles. And in uh, that, to be honest with you, his program, the way they played, was what I wanted our program to become. Wow. So you learn from your adversaries. Yeah. So you don't just try to take it and put it in a bottle. So you learn to do the things that they do. So, and that's what I think that what made their rivalry so, so, so unique. You go on, Coach, uh, as you get into the postseason, is there a similar feeling you had on the football field? Like, okay, this is a group, they're bought in, they're unselfish, and they work hard. 
we can do some damage. Yes, in baseball. Yeah, we. I had Edwin Jackson. My lord. <laughs> I had Nick Long. I had Stephen Register. All three of those guys were Division One athletes. It's a mean bullpen right there. <laughs> but Edwin was our number three guy. We had some phenomenal guys with Carlos Hughley, I mean, Justin Newman and those guys. And so we're in the playoffs and playing Pebble Brook, I believe, at Golden Park. Nick Long was one of my top guys. Nick was, he had a nasty slider. Mm -hmm. Nick went on to pitch for the Expos. It was prom night. They had all the little pictures behind. I yeah. tell you, Nick, about that now. Nick was out of it. Oh, His no. His girlfriend in the background with pictures behind us. We jumped out against Pebblebrook, and in the second inning, it is seven to nothing their way. Oh, wow. Their way. And the only thing we could do was pray for rain. <laughs> <laughs> and it did. We waited and waited and waited and waited and waited. So finally they had to call the game. So you don't we hadn't played for two innings. Yep. So we had to start over. So you get a fresh start. We get a fresh start. And then so we come back, we win that series. And another series, uh, we were struggling a little bit. We bring Edwin Jackson in from the outfield. Me being such a great coach, I'm gonna bring my ace in right now. <laughs> in warm up. The first three pitches that went through sail over the catcher's head. Oh, Lord. I said, Lord, I'm going to have to fire myself if we, lose, <laughs> if, we lose, if we lose this game. So we wind up winning that game. But the final game against Columbus High School, and it was the game was tied one-to-one, -one, and I think they had runners on first and third. And I gambled. And I gambled. Uh, and it was one out. Mm-hmm. So are we going to hold him on or are we going to let him steal? If you don't hold him on, that's what they're going to do. Mm -hmm. So I gamble. I said, John, I want you to back up. John Britton, first baseman. John, you back up. Carlos, you play up on the corner at third. John looked at me like I was crazy. You sure, Coach? I said, back up, John. The first pitch, the runner steals. The batter swings. It's the bottom of the seventh now. Line drive to John Brickman. John catches the ball, steps on first base. We win the game. <laughs> if we had held him on, we probably would have lost that game because that ball would have went over his head down mm -hmm. the line, and they would probably won the game. So defining moments like that when you know that when things going well for you, then uh, you, you feel pretty good about it. And a great group of guys. Edwin went on to pitch for the Dodgers right. and several other teams. Nick set the record. Yes. <laughs> Nick went on with the Expos, and Steven went on and pitched at Auburn and plus uh, pitched for the Rockies. So, And uh, Carlos Huguenot played third base. Carlos is coaching up in the Atlanta area right now. Mm -hmm. Phenomenal group of guys. I mean, they, they played hard, and they did not disrespect the game. Coach Flowers, it would, to take points off the board in a semifinal game, to tell your first baseman to do something kind of crazy, I mean, that kind of coaching intuition, that can't be taught. Uh, that's amazing. I, I think it's understanding that if you believe in faith, if you have faith and you believe that you're being spoken to in a certain way, I think you need to listen. I 
think sometimes we talk too much. I think we just need to listen to those voices inside telling us that instinctively we need to make this move at this particular time. And when you do it, you don't have time to think about it. You have to make that decision. And I'm not a riverboat gambler, but those decisions, um, those, those decisions, you know, most of the time they pay off. But when your players don't question it, mm-hmm. John questioned it one time and then he backed up. I mean, the players actually told us, let's go a touchdown because we got this first play off tackle. We walk into the end zone, but we missed the extra point, like I said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's kind of a gamble. But at the same time, knowing that you have a positive relationship with your players and that your players believe in you. Players play for coaches that they like. Players excel for coaches that they love. And that actually kind of leads to my next question is that you coached so many athletes who have gone on, you know, both on and off the field, gone on to achieve great success in life. You know, when you when you look back on that, you know, how important is that to you as a coach, you know, more than the records and the championships that you are able to, you know, steer a lot of young men into the right paths in the way of life. I think that the way you carry yourself as a coach, it's a title. Because you have a stopwatch, a clipboard, and a whistle, it doesn't make you a coach. A coach is a mentor. A coach is a father figure. A coach is that person that models the behavior that he wants his players to follow. So when you're doing it that way and you live in that life and they see you live in that life, a life of character, and integrity and making those decisions, then you're teaching them other than just winning and losing. Because athletics is about what? Life skills. And if you look at your research, a lot of the administrators and stuff are former coaches. A lot of the owners of businesses and stuff like that, they played either college or high school athletics. It builds that trust. It builds that teamwork. And so now to see these guys doing some of the same things I taught them, is worth more than all of the three or four halls of fame and the state championships and all of that. That's what it's truly all about. Because I believe that when you're blessed with something, you're not blessed with it for you. You're blessed with it to share and pass on to other people. So if they can continue the generational things that we did, continue to mentor young men and and young ladies if they're coaching them, then we have what? We've built a legacy. Now, and I always told my players this, to draw a line, put your birthday down. And then draw a line. That's a dash. And I said, is there a number behind that dash? They said, no. I said, when a number is behind that dash, that means you have died. You've expired. So what are you going to be able to say that you significantly done to impact the life of someone else between the dashes? And we still talk about that right now. And they said, well, Coach, ain't no number behind my name right now. I said, exactly. That means you still have time. We're, we're lucky to have some inspirational people in the, in the past year, Coach, and you're right up there with them. What, what is it for you to inspire with these young men and, and, and all these athletes? When you see a light switch tick, maybe you see an athlete who's heading down the wrong path, and through sports they're able to make better decisions. What is that like for you? It, it's phenomenal. Even with my grandsons right now <laughs> that play sport, you know, with Connor and, and Justin that they're playing sports, just excited about the way they play the game and just the enjoyment they have. And when you see players that's going from what we call an ERW, they got to eat, ride, and watch. <laughs> when they go from an ERW <laughs> to someone that actually contributes. But some of the best players that I've had, they, they've taught the other players how to behave. 
And I use this as a rule. As a freshman, you expect them to make freshman mistakes because they are a freshman. As a sophomore, you expect them to make a few mistakes. As a junior, no mistakes. And as a senior, help correct others' mistakes. So, and I tell coaches, if you put a freshman in the ball game, be prepared for freshman mistakes. But if we've done things the right way and that light start going off with that junior, you see the mentorship coming and them going to mentor the young players, that's when you go from building a team to a legacy. Absolutely. And speaking of the legacy, the legacy you leave behind at Shaw High School, you won six region championships, obviously the state championship in 2000. You know, when you look back at your career at Shaw, what is what is the most, you know, important thing that you look behind in, in your legacy? In my legacy, I have several things. We were blessed to have a phenomenal coaching staff. I mean, guys that's in the district, we had Richard Green, we had Ricky Stone, we had Craig Fitz, we had Scott Newman, we had Alton Pitts, we had Chris Lindsay, the principal at Carver High School, now James Wilson. We had several guys that were teachers that taught and they coached. Having that group of guys to work with that put academics first and kept things in perspective and seeing the growth in our young men that seeing them grow from a little boy into a young man and making positive decisions and wanting them to, to excel because it was a way of life for us. And so you look at all of that, and I, I want the legacy to be is that we built something. We built something because we shared a common belief. We cared about each other as players and as coaches. One of the biggest things that I see missing, and I'm going to get on this and you know, since this is your podcast, I think one of the things that's missing right now in high school athletics as it relates to football is coaches building relationships with players and parents. Mm-hmm. I, I think that is sometimes, I don't know if they're not willing to put the time in. I'm not sure what it is, but I did a segment for the Georgia Athletic Coaches Association called Coaching the Modern Day Athlete. There is a difference. That means that we need to modify our thought process to understand what they're going with and what they're dealing with and not making it so much to be about us. If you're 50 years old and that child is 15, you don't expect that child to make the same decision at 15 as you make at 50. So putting them in a position where they should know better, no, it's our job to teach them how to do better. Is that relationship the foundation of all success? It is. Building those positive relationships. And I'm not sure exactly who said it, but something to the effect that uh, before any learning can take place, I think of James Comer, before any learning can take place, there has to be a positive relationship. It has to be. So once you build those relationships, you know, you have, we had over 100 players on our team a lot of time. Mm -hmm. Every one of our coaches knew every one of those players by name. That's amazing. We put tape on the helmet and on the back. So 65, no, Johnny. 38, no, Billy. 42, no, that's Leroy. So when we called them by name, we began to build those relationships and what? A sense of ownership. So by doing that, we went from a list of names and numbers to a what? To a team. Wow. That's the secret ingredient. <laughs> that, that, that's incredible. And so, Coach, once, once you – completed your tenure in Shaw, you actually became, I believe you were the first district-wide athletic director from Muskogee County. 
And what was that like trying to, you know, kind of build that up from the start? It was it was challenging, but it was necessary. Mm. The most difficult thing was to leave. <laughs> and and well, the parents actually petitioned for me to stay to finish the football season. Really? Yes, because they were going to they had already had already taken the job and they wanted to move, but the superintendent said, We will let you stay for football season because we don't have a chance to get somebody in to, to take over. He said, but be prepared to move <laughs> to the district office the next in the spring in the winter for baseball. Mm-hmm. So the challenging part was to watch my team mm-hmm. losing the state championship in baseball Dang. and then losing the state championship in football <sighs> and not being arrogant, but I felt like it might have been a different outcome had we been there. But going back to your original question, it's difficult. It's much more difficult to work with adults than it is with young men. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, young men in general, I think sometimes coaches, we're egotistical. We, we, most of the time, we do have that fifth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and ours. <laughs> <laughs> so it becomes difficult to change that mindset with them because most of them are in a fixed mindset rather than a growth mindset. Mm-hmm. So working with the, the coaches, it was rewarding being able to get some things done, but I, I, I missed the sidelines. I missed the sideline. That's a part of who I was, and uh, I just felt like well, that's what I was supposed to be doing. That was actually part of my question, too, is how difficult was it to, to leave there, to, to go to a district office and more, you know, a job away from the sidelines, but was it also a huge compliment that parents petitioned to, to, to have you there? It was. It was very good. And when people see you as being – they, they, you now you're in a position where you kind of over them. Yeah. And well, you know, you were just doing this last year, and now you're saying I can't do it this year, and all the stuff like that. So, as you look back at that, and that was challenging as well. But at the same time, you have a task, you have a responsibility, and my responsibility was to serve the Muscogee County School District and lead the athletic programs, and uh, I really, really enjoyed that as well. Absolutely. Now, once you had that itch to go back on the sideline you end up going down to doherty county you know how did you and you start to turn that program around we 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 enjoyed it it was it was a different type of challenge got a chance to meet some phenomenal people in in albany george Mm -hmm. uh during that time and uh it was challenging but at the same time the people appreciated what you did this the players were hungry the, the community was hungry. We began to turn that program around and everything, but I knew that it was close to retirement time. Uh-huh. So to give an example, uh, not to do salaries, but when you retire, you're going to retire at 60% of your state-based pay. Mm-hmm. So the higher your state-based pay is when you retire, the more you're going to get in retirement. Yeah. So going from Columbus to Albany, Georgia, was about a $30,000 a year increase. Well, so, then. <laughs> so I'm the worst math student in the world, but <laughs> I do know that 60% of, of that is much greater than the yeah. lesser. We don't blame me, Coach. That, 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 that's easy enough math right there. <laughs> I mean, I suck at math, but I agree with that logic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that makes a whole lot of sense. Man, we got two sports guys that that's agreeing <laughs> with my logic. I know it's going to be a great it's day. It's going to be a good day, Coach. Listen, we are in journalism now. <laughs> Listen, I'm not an engineer for a reason, Coach. Nope. <laughs> um, but for when we get to that point, I'm, 
first of all, you lean into these these situations. I think to have principles and to have those belief in your players and believe in the relationships, it, that's the key to turning all this around because you look at some of these programs where unfortunately a lot of losing, a lot of defeat has happened. Is it your faith too that guides you to like, I need to turn this around and give the, this hungry base some success? My faith. My faith in that my job is to lead young men, to build character, to build young men. And I think Frederick Douglass said it best. Frederick Douglass said it so, so well many, many years ago. It is so much easier to raise strong children than to repair broken men. Amen. Yeah. So if we build that foundation and seeing them grow and mature, the winning is going to take care of itself because as a coach, like I said, your father figure, your mentor, your bus driver, you whatever it needs to be to take care of those emotional needs of those players. And I think that's been the cornerstone of my success is that I've always been an unselfish person. I believe in giving, giving, giving. And sometimes I've gotten burned, but that's okay too. <laughs> More good than bad. Out Absolutely. Of this. <laughs> Absolutely. And you, you turn things around at Doherty and then you head up to Troop County, kind of back, kind of going back full circle. A bit, right? Going full circle because you started your career at West Point and now you're at Troop County. You know, you have the opportunity to, you know, coach up in LaGrange. Did a phenomenal job there as well. Has two good years there. State playoffs and uh, coaching Reuben Foster, coaching phenomenal athletes. Got a chance to coach my nephew, Corn Braid, that went on and played at Auburn in the NFL. So going back there and seeing a lot of the people that I grew up with just getting the opportunity to coach their children. Was, was 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 phenomenal. And going back home, being able to do that, and it's rewarding to see that back in West Point, just 12 miles from the Grange. And a lot of those kids, I mean, it was, it was like a, a reunion. So now seeing them and what they're doing with their children, we had no discipline problems. When I say no, coaches said, well, coach, you know how it is when they start doing this. And they start saying, no, I don't know that. <laughs> I, I don't know that language. I don't speak that language. So we didn't have discipline problems. We had parental problems that, look, we need to take care of this. He's misbehaving. There are going to be some consequences for it. Are you prepared to go along with that? Hey, go do what you got to do. Because they knew that we would be fair. So we want to give everyone what they needed rather than what the traditional was. I've never been a traditional type person. I've always believed in equity over equality and going back home, getting a chance to coach those kids there and, and seeing – guys that I grew up with and went to school with and even younger guys that are coaching West Point, it was very, that was very rewarding. So life is full circle. Yeah. That's really amazing. And then again, you mentioned some of the names like Ruben Foster. I think we, we spoke as well with all Edwin and, and Damian Daniels, all these guys for you, when you see them leave the high school ranks, still apply the principles that they were taught in high school to the success they've had. That must be amazing for you to see as well. It is. And to see Troy Bergeron, his son played it at Westover High School, and he's at Duke University now. Mm -hmm. And just to see those guys, Damian Daniels, son and guy, these guys and see them coaching and seeing them walking in the arena that they're doing and impacting lives, when I tell you, that is so, so, so rewarding. And the, the most phenomenal things is we can still have conversation and it's still coach. Even to this day? Even to this day. Wow. And I tell them, I said, have positive relationships with your players but never, ever get on a first-name basis with them. Never, Interesting. Ever. Yeah. Keep that line of demarcation there. Mm -hmm. Keep it there. Understand that this is the line right here. So once we do that, they'll have a lot more respect. As a coach, I want to be just like you. I said, no, no, no. I want you to be better than me. 
I want I tell my own son that now I want you to be better than me. Set your own mark and do what you need to do to become a successful coach. Amen to that. And coach, you, you've accomplished so much in your in your career. You know, what is one story from your coaching career that kind of stands out as far as, you know, this is where I where I'm where I belong. This is what was meant for me to do. It was meant for me to, you know, mentor these young men and women. It was meant for me to be a teacher. It was meant for me to, you know, be here in this place at this time. I think I have several defining moments and I go back I go back to my early coaching days in West Point, Georgia. And it was a lot of it's a poor area and a lot of the kids needed a lot of things. A lot of single parent homes. And a lot of guys just wanted to, and athletic was the only thing that they had. So if I hadn't changed my mindset toward that, then I would have lost a lot of players. But I was formed, and I knew at that time that West Point was where I was supposed to be because those guys needed, they needed someone, and they needed someone to believe in them. They needed that. So I knew that that's where I was supposed to be there. And when I went to Shaw High School, when I saw the amount of talent that was potentially there, and I saw the people that have given up on kids, from teachers, administrators, a lot of them have, they've given up on kids. But see, I saw myself as being somewhat of a saving grace because I, as a youngster, I had been in that same situation myself. So I vowed that, yes, this is where I'm supposed to be. When I went to Daughter, I immediately knew that's what I needed to be because I had a lot of challenges there because I knew that if I could overcome the challenges there, wherever I went after that, I would be successful. And even going back to Troop High School, just the impact that I had on my own nephew and being back and seeing those people that I grew up with and the depreciation that it showed. So I knew, I knew that everywhere that I've been has made me a better person and had made me a stronger person. And that's why I always see obstacles. I mean, opportunities and not obstacles. When you, Go back to some of these schools, whether it be Doherty, Shaw. What is it like walking back through those hallways? Uh, nostalgic. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, understanding that it was part of a process. It was a part of a process. Uh, there's still a, a part of me at Shaw High School. I, I still want them to be successful. When you spend that many years at a place, I still want Troop High School to be successful every game except this week when they play Carver. <laughs> <laughs> And I want Darty. I still have a lot of contact with those guys down there, a program we work down there. I want those guys to do well, and I try to support them in every way that I possibly can. So a part, I like to say that a part of me is everywhere that I've been. And, and, I, and I truly do believe that things happen for reasons, mm -hmm. and, and when, we, when these things happen, we may not understand it. It's kind of like I was reading my inspirational thing this morning. It says that we need to keep our faith because – we may not know what's around the corner, and we may not know what's at the end of at what's at the end of the tunnel, but we know who is there. Now you fill in the blanks. Yeah, we may yeah. not know what's there, but we know who's, who's there. there. And if we keep that faith, then we keep working, then we're gonna arrive at who is there. Exactly, and one hundred percent agree with that. Coach. Absolutely. And you know, we we talked about your coaching career, but you know, what's Coach Flowers doing today? What am I doing today? I am working harder than I did <laughs> as a coach. We have a program. Uh, my wife and I, we formed this program. It's called 
This Works Incorporated, and underneath the umbrella is a Second Chance Works. Right now, we are doing phenomenal work in Muskogee County, Dirty County, Bibb County, uh, Dodge County, Phoenix City, Alabama, and with crime prevention here in the city. Mm -hmm. And we're spreading out to Griffin and other places and working with a character education program. Wow. Where we are working with parents to deal with social emotional learning, self-awareness, self-management, responsible decision-making. Some of the same things we did as teachers and coaches, we're just taking it to the students and to the parents and to the teachers. And if we're able to teach the curriculum, then it will serve as an alternative to suspension and hopefully an alternative to incarceration. Recently, we trained the police officers in restorative practices. That's what it's based on. Simply meaning that, yes, punishment is necessary, but we don't have to dehumanize you to do it. And accountability is more important than punishment. You can never punish your way to success. Coaches that yell and scream all the time, that's temporary. Yeah. It's temporary. So our program, we have our own curriculum. I mean, uh, it is phenomenal. And so we work with the parents, the students, and the teachers to try to change these behaviors, to give them an alternative, you know, rather than sit your butt down and shut up. <laughs> can you settle down just a little bit so someone else can learn? And telling parents this, Mr. Jones, we understand that there are some challenges with your child, but we absolutely cannot allow your child to disrupt the learning environment at the school. Therefore, these consequences are necessary. So we're going to administer an, an alternative form of discipline for your child to hold them accountable for their behavior. Mr. Jones, are you willing to work with your child on this? And invariably, 99% of the time, the answer is yes. Seems like you give this opportunity for growth and to be transparent with that. And, but also I'm seeing that you can't stay away from mentoring people. You can't you can't stop from stop you from pouring into young people, huh? I, I don't think I'm ever going to do that. <laughs> I'm going to leave this earth tired. <laughs> I'm going to I'm not going to be the one that say I left it, I didn't leave everything on the field. I'm not going to be that coach that wakes up one day and realize the ladder that I've been climbing my entire life has been leaning against the wrong wall. I'm not going to be that guy. I'm going to be the guy that enjoys what he's doing, mentoring, trying to help people, and trying to be the person that God created me to be. That's amazing. This seems like this is the <laughs> next evolution of, you know, what you've been doing seemingly your entire life. And that is, you know, you know, mentoring kids, you know, in this case, mentoring parents as well. And, you know, trying to, you know, bring people together and set up people for success. Yes. And uh, it's ironic that you said that because what is coaching? Coaching is an extension of teaching. Mm -hmm. And usually the best teachers win. One of the things that we did in football and baseball, and I hope there are some young coaches that's listening to this, as the season go on, we need to get away from calling so many plays and go back to the fundamentals of the game. Because over a long period of season, you forget about the fundamentals. You forget about the alignment. Mm -hmm. You forget about stance and start because it's supposed to come natural. But if I go back to reteaching the fundamentals, and that is going to be the key to what we are trying to do. So if we continue to do that, then we're going to continue to be successful. When you get the buy-in from the parents, not only with coaching, but with what you're doing now with the Second Chance Works, does that just 
set the child up for complete success? I mean, just take Elijah Pritchett, one of the young men from Carver. Yeah. I mean, you know, they work in our program, and the parent told us that uh, prior to him getting that program, he had never received, he had always failed the class. Really? And now he's doing very well. But when you get the buy-in from your parent, and let me, one of the main things that we do, say, uh, who was your one teacher in your life that had a positive impact on you? One teacher. Uh, Mona Griffin. Why Miss Griffin? Uh, she taught me to, she believed in me when I, when there was times I didn't believe in myself. Absolutely. That's what we tell the parents. We ask them that question. Ma'am, sir, that same teacher that was impactful to you in your life, we want to be that for your child, but we need your help. That's the, when you say that, your help, we go from I to we. How can we resolve this situation? Because we want to be that teacher. And I ask teachers, how many of you, how many of your students at the end of the year will be able to say that about you? Wow. So we give it back to the parent and let the parent, because the parent wants help with their child a lot of times. What's amazing is the relationship that a coach has between players. Sometimes they feel more confident talking to you than they do their own parent. Very true. Yeah. If you have a positive relationship. So when you see that parent involvement, and that's the key. And my hat's off to Muskogee County School District, the Doherty County School District, uh, the Bibb County School District. Those are the main. And Phoenix City, the ones who bought into our program and our curriculum by getting parental involvement, that is the key. And so we're going to be doing some phenomenal things more here in the city very quickly in terms of soliciting more parental involvement as a means to reduce in some of the juvenile crime that we have. And I think a wonderful example with Elijah Pritchard for, for everyone watching and listening to this eventually, Elijah goes from, as you said, struggling academically to having just signed a scholarship to play at the University of Alabama. What was and, that like to see? It's phenomenal. And a lot of guys at, at Carver and just going through the mentorship program and getting somebody to believe in them and the parent involvement, that I means that's that part. And see, the good thing about it is being a former coach, we have that added figure. Because we can talk to them about college readiness. Yes, you can. We can talk to them about discipline. We can talk to them about this is nothing compared to what you're going to have to do when you get up at 5 a.m. when you go to play college football. So that just being able to talk to them on that level. But the key here is accountability. When that parent knows that I now have to be accountable for my own child's behavior. When parents say, you know, so are you telling me that I'm going to have to come to this session because my child got in trouble? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, well, I'm not coming. I said, well, ma'am, don't be upset with me because your child invited you to this party. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. Woo. That changed it. <laughs> I said, so if you're not coming, then your child going to have to receive some punishment that she would not have to receive. She said, saying it that way, I changed my mind. But one of the biggest things that we do, too, is uh, we have an organization called Flow that my wife works with where she just mentors young ladies. Oh, wow. Or girls in the different schools that we have because young ladies have a different set of problems sometimes yeah. than guys do. Yeah. I know you can amen it if you want to. If you don't, that's okay too. Yes, sir. But those amen. young ladies are able to talk about things more privately mm -hmm. and they're able to accomplish a whole lot of other things. And so that's important that we let everybody know that what we're doing with that. And it's going to continue to grow because we're living in a time now where there are a lot of challenges, a lot of challenges. Yeah. So, this program is really going to help reconnect everyone and bring a sense of accountability to both the parents and the students. We we always kind of joke that like signing day is one of the busiest days we have in the Tattahoochee Valley. And I think 
that is a huge credit to the mentorship that you guys do yes. as well. Because again, you're, you're saving young lives. You're saving, you're raising, you're raising great men and men and women around this area. Help, we, you're helping to. We like to say we want to plant the seed that we may never see grow. Hmm. Plant the seed that we may never see grow. You don't ever want to write a kid off. Everybody in this room, everybody in this building has been given a second chance, third chance, a fourth chance, a lot of chances. Therefore, we absolutely should never give up on our student athletes and our regular students in schools because they are in need of what we have. And we like to think that nobody can do it better than us. Man. I like their chances with you, Coach. I like their chances exactly. with you. And Jack, any final thoughts? Well, I, I, I do have one more question for Coach is that, you know, your career in general, whether it be on the field, in the classroom, or, you know, where you're doing, what you're doing today, has been so all-encompassing and focused on relationships. If there's something you could say right now on how people could, you know, reach out and better themselves by building relationships, what would you tell the people that are out there listening right now? I think that, I think that the faith, you have to have a strong faith. You have to have a strong faith and you have to have a belief. You have to be unselfish. You have to see the, the, the end of the road, what can be, not just what's in front of us right now, what can possibly be. I think the advice that I would give in terms of building relationships is to completely remove yourself out of the way. Completely remove yourself out of the way. If you have a career, if you have a job, you need to do whatever is necessary to strengthen your knowledge and your abilities. We need to listen. We need to read. We need to remember. And then we need to apply it. So building that relationship, taking the time out, putting down electronic devices, being more hands-on, not sending text messages, not sending emails, picking up the telephone and calling to build relationships, letting them know, hey, I appreciate you. You played a great game today. I appreciate your effort. We came up a little bit short, but we'll get them the next time. Those, those positive things. I see the glass as being half full rather than half empty. So the key component to that, if I could leave anything, take the time out to build relationships and understand what people are going through, not be so judgmental. One author put it this way. He says, never judge people's choices until you know their options. That is a wonderful note to end on. Coach, Absolutely. Thank, but we do have one final question, yes, a little do. bit more fun here. And I can't wait to hear what his response is going to be. Today. We always ask our guests, who would you like to see on, on your sidelines? Is there a, a person you would like us to see in your, or be in your chair as we interview them for this podcast? Well, I see another person in this chair. Yeah. Yes. Who would you like to be the next guest on, on your sidelines? I would like to see Bobby Wright. Bobby Wright. I would love that. I would like to see Bobby Wright, the legendary basketball coach from Phoenix City, Alabama. I got a chance to speak at his retirement ceremony. Yeah, I remember you there. I would love to see Bobby Wright sitting in this chair. He's done a tremendous job. He really has. Over 40-something years mentoring athletes, coaching, <laughs> 
And he has He's been incredible. He has. I would love to see him um in this chair. And I'll give you his phone number if you want it. <laughs> see, he, he didn't even bring up the second part. We, like, we, 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 we didn't bring re- that part up. We always had the caveat if we could get your help to get our next guest. But uh, coach, if Coach Flowers puts in a call to Coach Wright, I mean, that's legendary status for a podcast. I, I, think, I think you would be, I think everyone would be engaged and entertained. Absolutely. Oh, well, Coach, that's a wonderful recommendation. Thank you so, so much for your yes. time. Uh, we're going to wrap up here, stick around for a little bit, but my Goodness, Jack, is that 16 for 16 with inspirational guests at this point? Uh, yeah, that's a no-brainer, man. I mean, <laughs> uh, what, it's, hard, it's hard to make me and Rex speechless, but when you hear everything that Coach Flowers has done both on and off the field, the impact that, you, that he's leaving even to this day, I mean, it's nothing short of remarkable. And I think that's the perfect way that Coach Flowers and his wife and his organization are still reaching out there to mentor young men and women to set them up for success. We need more of that. And thank you, Coach, for your time. One final note. Sir. We have a phenomenal team. It's not just us. We have about 20 people that's working with us, and I don't want to name them all, but (laughs) they are the backbone. Yes, sir. They are the backbone of everything that we do. We, not me. Yeah, I was just getting ready to say, if we've learned anything today, it's always about we, it's never about me. Jack, let's wrap this thing up, though. Uh, my gosh, do we, uh, I'm losing my steps here. Are we finding out where people are? Uh, find- Rex. That's me. You, tell you. the people where they can find us. Y'all, thank you so much again for joining us on WRBL.com. Check out our podcast live here on this website, but you can also check us out on Audible, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts, wherever you can at any given time on demand. This is a podcast you definitely want to listen to over and over again with the nuggets of information. But Jack, social media-wise, where can they find us? Yes, you can find us on Twitter at TV at Rex Castillo TV. On Facebook, WRBL Rex Castillo, WRBL Jack Patterson. Don't forget to follow the News 3 Sports pages at WRBL Sports on Twitter and WRBL News 3 Sports on Facebook. Hey, Rex, take us home, man. We, not me, developing relationships by actually putting in the work to speak to people and not just send electronic messages. Big lessons we learned from Coach Flowers. Faith can take you where you need to. And just thank you for your work you've done and the work you continue to do, Coach. Guys, we'll see you in, in a couple weeks on Ninja Sidelines. Yeah, we'll catch you later. And always... It's great to be a Shaw Raider.